The sport profile is back like it never left. I hope you all enjoy this interview with SNY's Maria Marino, who just celebrated a birthday recently. Again, hope you all enjoy this one. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand for the sport profile. Back again like I never left. I'm here with SNY's Maria Marino. So how are you doing today? How have you been handling all this? And I saw you back in the studio recently. So how do you feel to be back there? It's been a whirlwind. Um, I think I'm a lot better now that I am back in the studio, even though it's a little different and it's a little bit harder in some ways just to adjust to different safety protocols. It's, it's all a good thing. It's all positive. I'm really happy to be back. Um, but I just missed it <laughs> a lot. Um, I was doing a lot of segments from home, but it's just not quite the same as being there and being around my coworkers and of course at a social distance uh <laughs> spacing situation and wearing yeah. masks except for when i go inside the actual studio then i can take my mask off and you know mm -hmm. do a tv show but um i think like everybody else i probably struggled a little bit during sure. the time that um we weren't having live sports and we were cooped up um and i i wasn't as busy as I normally would. And I'm somebody that kind of thrives on just like being busy and yeah. doing my job. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, I always need to have like something to just, I guess, feel productive, if you will. Um, what was, what was your last bit of normalcy, if you will? So let's go back to like March, like March 11th, March 12th. That's when all like the sports league shut down. What were you doing that day? And how did you react to the news that you heard? All right. So the weekend prior to that was the American Athletic Conference tournament for women's basketball. And I was covering UConn in the tournament. Um, they won the whole thing. Yeah. And that was on, I think, a Monday was the final. And at the time, we were really cognizant of COVID-19 becoming a bigger issue. Um, but obviously, the tournament still went on. I remember there being, um, you know, antibacterial uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. Yeah. And I remember being cognizant of not wanting to be close to people and kind of keeping it myself in my hotel room. Mm -hmm. um, then I had off that Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday would, would have been the start for me of covering the Big East men's basketball tournament at Madison Square Garden. And um, I remember waking up that morning to the news that Rudy Gobert had tested positive for COVID um, from the Utah Jazz. And I knew that the Jazz had played the Knicks not that long prior to that. So I was definitely nervous about the idea of going to Madison Square Garden to cover sure. uh, the Big East tournament. Um, and one of my colleagues, uh, Janae Coakley, actually had gone to Madison Square Garden that day um, because if you recall, the Big East tournament actually, they started playing. Yeah, they, I think um, they canceled like at halftime or something, right? Correct. So they were like basically the last uh, men's conference to back out of uh, playing tournament, their tournament. Um, and so she had actually gone there and then they cut it short. And yeah. so I pretty knew that I wasn't going to have to go there that night to cover it. And then that weekend, like you said, that weekend of like March 12th or so, we were mm -hmm thrust into uh the shutdown yeah wow it's <laughs> i was i remember i remember being at the mac tournament in atlantic city march 11th and 12th we were supposed to be there until the 14th but then we canceled and right. ended up being like the second to last college basketball game on american soil for whatever mm -hmm. i don't know it was i just remember my twitter feed like blowing up saying like that this is gonna be like this is gonna be over like Mm. you know what, what was your twitter feed like almost like was, were you seeing like all these things going on you know of course like, why are we still here yes uh, absolutely i mean i'm kind of locked into twitter a lot and uh sometimes more, th sometimes more than i should be so, like sometimes i need yeah. to turn it off and like you know wind down and go to bed but yeah. um, i i just remember following it very closely because i was concerned um from a work standpoint just like everyone and I remember thinking um, in the morning, I was hearing of all the more and more cancellations, like a domino effect. And I was like, right. 
I'm, I'm, I was almost certain the Big East would also cancel. I was a little surprised that um, they even started playing it, but it was just, it was just such mayhem. You know, everyone was doing the best they could with the information at hand and trying to make decisions as fast as they could. And um, SNY in particular had been planning they had been planning to sort of test out all of their work from home um, situations really? like the following week. And this actually made it go a little bit faster where I'm pretty sure yeah. like that Friday was probably their last in studio show for a while. Wow. How is it adjusting to like, you know, at a at home studio, if you will? Cause like, I know I saw like a bunch yeah. of people like, you know, fiddling to make live shots have a nice, nice backdrop, you know, the typical bulk shelf, couple, yes. couple photos yeah. of family, couple bats, maybe <laughs> memorabilia. Well, what, did, what did yours look like? As you can see mine, this is pretty much has been my setup now since I, okay. moved. I, I made a move in the middle of the pandemic. Really? Um, yeah, I think it was yeah May 1st. So initially, so March and April, I figured out my setup um, in my old apartment and had some help from my boyfriend actually because mm -hmm. he you know has some lighting equipment and kind of would help me like frame up the shot and okay. i have a tripod i use my phone which is what i'm using right now right uh, but to me it's like very important aesthetically just to have a background that is clean like i sure. think my background right now could be better it could be more interesting but i'd rather have it you know a blank canvas than super busy and, and crazy. But my initial background at my old place was pretty good. Like you said, it had the bookshelf, um, which makes it, I think, visually more interesting. But it's so funny, the, um, the limitations that we have yeah. based on technology, because when I tried to um, go into my bedroom when I moved, it was too far from my router for my internet. Oh. So it just wasn't working as cleanly so it, it's like all these fun funny things that we have to work on right you know the angle the lighting the internet connection the audio I'm sure it's um, all like really hard yeah I mean it's not it's look it's not that hard it, I mean it, it's something to, to take into consideration and figure out and make sure it's good but if that's you know that's it's, it's nothing to complain about for sure yeah and I'm sure now it's like you know we've toughed it we've all toughed it out and <laughs> you know, you're back in the studio now. What was it like just being back in there for the first time? Did it feel real almost? Yeah, it was strange. Um, at first, leading up to it, I was a little anxious because I was like, okay, sure. how is this going to work? Um, the first few shows we did, it was prior to live baseball games returning. So we had a little leeway where we didn't have to do everything live. And I could get used to things like, going and doing my own makeup and miking mm. myself up because that's usually something we have help with and it usually yeah. goes by really fast but depending that could take me a little longer than usual and I was concerned about just like okay when we're trying to scramble and put a show together and I'm about to be live on the air just making sure everything was ready and that I was able to do everything on my own and not that I hadn't like mic myself up before but it's a little different um, sports night on SNY is a show where I'm standing up a lot. I'm moving around a lot. So you really need to make sure that the mic is secure and your IFP sure. is secure. And, um, you obviously don't want it to be showing. You want it to look professional. So those are li just little things that I was concerned about. Um, and then, you know, figuring out how I was going to transport in, um, I've been, I, I live in Jersey, SNY is in downtown Manhattan. So, yeah. Um, I've been taking the path train, which has been fine. Um, occasionally I take Ubers, but like, you know, it's just like the, that nervous energy about like wearing masks. Right, I know it. I know it. Who's around you and, and whatnot. But then in the studio, everyone's great. Um, everyone's wearing their masks. Everyone, like all of our stations, our workstations are far apart. We have all kinds of rules and things that they put in place to ensure our safety. Yeah. So you feel comfortable, you know, being there now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I've gotten more used to the routine. We started having live baseball games again, and we started doing all the live shows. And so I kind of know how much time I need for everything. And I, I lean on my um, producers a lot and our stage managers and mm -hmm. things like that, um, director, 
um, our jib operator, like all of those people, I really, you know, ask them to make sure everything looks good. Everything sounds good. Sure. Um, so that's, that helps a lot too. What, what made you want to become an on-air reporter? You know, there's so many tracks you can take in like, you know, journalism and communications, but what about being on-air appealed to you most? Well, I started out um, being interested in writing. Mm. Um, I think more than anything, I'm a storyteller. And when I was in high school, I took a journalism class and basically fell in love with it. I became like an editor for my school paper and I would write articles all the time and my favorite part of of that whole process was interviewing even though it wasn't on camera or on air going and finding the right person to tell the story and um having questions in mind and researching researching and then being face to face with them and just having a conversation was what i loved right um and then you know take a step further um going into college i pretty much knew I wanted to study journalism. And then I think because I liked that uh, aspect so much where I was in front of people and just being a people person. Yeah. And because I liked public speaking and I, I had no issue sort of presenting myself. Um, I think that's what made me gravitate toward uh, broadcast. And so I actually, um, I started at a community college, Sussex County community, and they had a really good, um, college TV and radio station. Mm. And that's kind of where I first dipped my toes into it. And I also did, um, like, I remember my first semester of college, I did local, uh, sports writing for a a paper called the New Jersey Herald. And that just kind of got me a, a great taste of it. I was writing a couple articles a week and, um, yeah, I, I think it was, so I think it was storytelling first and then sort of my, um, I don't know if you would even call it like skills. It was partly my skill set and partly just sort of my personality that um, led me to go the broadcast route. And I'm sure like, you know, you've developed like your confidence, you know, over the years, because I feel like that's something a lot of people like will struggle with, you know, myself included, if you're going like on air to do something. So what's, what's a way like, I guess you've developed your confidence over the years. Well, I think you have to have a certain amount of confidence innately. Sure. In other words, I think if, if you're the type of person that <laughs> makes it, it might sound awkward to like go up to random people and approach them and introduce yourself and ask, yeah. ask questions. Um, if that makes you squirm, then it's probably not the right profession for you and uh I I learned that pretty early on like I said when I was doing the the New Jersey Herald stuff because uh, I'll be honest like most of the time I would be you know on the sideline or whatever and I I covered everything at the time like yeah um football games uh volleyball games uh tennis matches I mean anything that I could do um but I always feel like you know the coaches would get caught off guard like oh who is this you know and Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to kind of present yourself and say hey you know can I ask you a couple questions for the Herald and and everything um so you you like I said you have to you have to be outgoing I think to start but that doesn't mean and you know start at a certain um spot and then and then grow and I I think um my confidence has grown in different ways over the years and it just depends on the the type of experience. I think I always had what I call like that reporter instinct where mm-hmm. you're at like you're in a situation, you're in the field and you have to make split second decisions and you really have to find a way to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think that's something people don't realize when you're a reporter. It's not like the coaches just walk up to you. Like you have to really, uh, seek people out and you have to scheme and plan and figure out how am I going to get in front of this person and, and get that quote that I need or get that sound bite that I need. So right, um, that's part of it. And then everything else just comes from experience. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a combination of experience and preparation. Um, mm-hmm. I th- the more prepared I am for anything, the more confident I am. And right. then of 
that coupled with, okay, I've done some semblance of this before gives you the confidence to, to do what you need to do. Is there a point in your preparation where you set, where you feel like comfortable enough to be like, all right, I've written all I need to do for this report. I don't Mm -hmm. need to do any more. I'm able to just go on air, like cool, calm, collected and deliver my report to a national. Um, I would say there's certain, there's different things, you know, there's a reporting aspect, like where, for instance, when I'm doing sideline for UConn basketball Mm -hmm. um, and I'm doing like a standup, um, that to me is first establishing what exactly the report is on, making sure I have enough information to round it out. So I might have a notes on all these different things. And then what's like, what sticks out to me that I have enough to share. And that's um, sort of newsworthy or that's interesting enough to share yeah. and then packaging it into a format that, that works for that. So those reports might only be like 45 seconds or less. So it's a yeah. matter of being concise and, Um, as you know, from writing any sort of journalism, being concise is extremely important. Absolutely. And, um, because with writing, obviously you want to grab the person's attention right away and you want to keep it. So you can't be, I mean, depending on, you know, if it's a magazine article, that's something different, but something, something news, like keeping your audience engaged is very important. And then with television, time constraints are constant, especially live TV. So it's like, really have to learn to share what's most important and share it uh, basically by getting the most information out with using the least amount of words. And that's something I learned early on. I mean, I learned that getting the most info out with the least amount of words, but it's... um, Easier said than done? You you apply it differently in different settings. Yeah, sure. Oh, I'm having a conversation with you and I'm not trying to be concise. I'm not like, I'm, that's, that's the thing. I, I'm a big fan of conversation and some formats aren't really conducive to that, but no, um, I I think, you know, podcasts are just blowing up because of that natural, like free flowing conversation, which I think is fun and keeps everyone feeling like they're part of it. Um, but you were asking about, preparedness and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was like aside from reporting if I do any sort of like analysis and that's how I started at SNY like I would go on like a panel show Mm. and we would have a topic and I would give my take on it yeah um and so whatever the topic is there's usually a moment where a light bulb will pop on for me where Mm -hmm. like I know what the topic is I have a general understanding of it just from my day-to-day, you know, uh, following sports and making sure I'm well-read and well-informed in general. And when I get to the topic and I really start diving into it, usually there's something that, like I said, jumps out at me where it clicks and I'm like, okay, this is really what I think about it and why, and this is what I feel. And so I think it's different for everybody, but I would, uh, like when I would prepare for shows and still now when I prepare for segments, sometimes I'll be on the fence about how I feel about something. And then I'll see a certain detail that'll like kind of seal it for me as to how I feel about it and, and why that's valid. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. What's been like, you know, your most memorable interaction either with an athlete coach or whomever throughout your career? There's been a lot. There's been a lot. Um, and they all, they, they sort of blend together. Mm-hmm. Over, um, but I would say most recently, the interactions that I get to have with Gino Oriema, um, mm-hmm. one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah. Uh, I always feel like when I'm around him, whether it's I'm interviewing him right after the game or doing a sit down interview or even just at a shoot around watching what he does. I'm always learning something and um, just respect him a whole lot. And uh, I think he has a really great sense of humor too, which makes it, makes it um, fun to cover. Yeah. And, you know, I've had, there's been a couple funny ones. Like I remember, um, I think it was last year. Was it last year? 
anyway, when, yes, okay, now I remember. Okay, so it was, <laughs> it was last year, um, Pat Shermer was still the coach of the Giants. Okay. It was leading into the season, and it was like a training camp practice I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was sort of buzzing about Daniel Jones, even though Eli Manning was still the quarterback. But yeah. like, being, we, you know what it was, DJ. I see. I call him DJ. He had like, <laughs> a couple, he had a couple like really good preseason games, right? So people were like buzzing about him, yeah. and so I asked <laughs> Coach Shermer, like it was like one of those scrums, and I just was like. So, uh, DJ, blah, 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 blah. And he looks at me, he goes, DJ. And I go, yeah, Daniel Jones. And he's like, okay. Like he, like, he didn't, like, I don't know if he was just playing coy or he hadn't heard anyone refer That's to him. Funny. <laughs> but, like, he just kind of, like, did a double take. But then he, like, answered the question. And then after the, everyone, like, broke out of the scrum, he kind of, like, gave me, a, like, a, a double take and was like, DJ, okay. Like, that is a ring to it. All right, um, that's sick. So, I don't know, like, that's something that's so small. Like, that's not even something you would see on the air. But, like, little um, little interactions like that, I think, are, are really cool. Um, I remember, uh, uh, like, just this is just randomly coming to my mind. But mm-hmm. when I was uh, back in radio, before I even started at SNY, and I was doing some stuff for uh, a channel there called SiriusXM NBA Radio, mm-hmm. and... Um, I got a credential to go to a Warriors practice. They were in town to play the Knicks, and um, I went to to their practice at the um, the Players Association gym. And like, I just bumped into Steve Kerr, and I randomly was like, "Hi, like I'm Maria Marino." Like, I just like randomly introduced myself, and he was just like, looked at me like, "Who are you?" Like, what, <laughs> whatever. But like, he like shook my hand, and he was like super nice, but. It's, it's weird, like, you know, sometimes you're just in a situation and you just, like, have this gut reaction and you're like, well, I, you know, that might have, I might have, like, come off as, like, who knows what, um, yeah. silly or, or whatever, but, you know, I, myself and who knows, who knows if he would remember, but yeah. then kind of came full circle. Uh, he, he's really great. Um, I remember uh, I got asked to cover a, a Warriors next game for SNY. Um, this is before I was hired there full time, but mm. I asked a, a question in a in a scrum as well, and he gave a really good answer. He's just really like smart and thoughtful. Um, awesome. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna say one more because I know I'm go- I'm going off on long tangents, but um, yeah. one of the other things I used to love doing when I was with SiriusXM is um, I think there were two or three years. Um, in a row where I did what was called like the rookie photo shoot and it was basically like a media day for all of the NBA rookies and so it's kind of cool because I can look at a certain NBA team and there's probably somebody on there that I've interviewed at some point okay last like few years I've interviewed so many of these rookies and just briefly like it'd be like a minute or two minutes um But like I, I, we did a, a live interview with with Ben Simmons at the time, and that was on our Facebook page, and it was really cool because like it's the best time in my opinion to like interview these NBA players because it's before they like blow up and get like yeah. insane popular and uh, more people know who they are. Yeah, exactly, and uh, so that was so that was neat and um, really fun to do. I'm sure I could think of more. <laughs> no, that's all, that's that's all like you know, really cool. And it makes me think of some of the, like, you know, my like memorable interactions, I guess, you know, so did you always want to, you know, cover sports when you were getting into journalism? Like was sports always, you know, the main route for you? Not necessarily. Um, I always liked sports, but I, I know you said like you played basketball for a little bit. So I did. Yeah. In high school. And, um, you know, growing up, um, my dad was a big giants fan my older siblings were actually big Duke basketball fans, so I liked college ball a lot. Sweet. Uh, and I was, you know, I, I liked the Yankees, but I wasn't, like, an obsessive fan. I would say I was, like, really into the Giants and really into Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, it was kind of more of a relaxed fandom. And then, you know, I was pretty athletic, but um, – 
never was trying to pursue sports at like a, a higher level. Yeah. When I got to the point where I was trying to figure out what to do professionally, I didn't see sports as honestly like a viable option. I thought it was like really far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I remember certain things, like I said, like the sports uh, reporting for the Herald or there were a couple other local things I did. There was like this uh, local TV station um, up by where I grew up that I did like high school sports. Certain things were kind of pointing me in that, in that direction, but I still wasn't sure about it. Um, yeah. And it took me a few years after I graduated college to kind of find my way back to sports. I, I did some other stuff. I did um, like lifestyle related content where I was doing a lot of blogs and shooting and editing, editing video and uh, things like that for this resort. It was like a golf spa hotel resort. So that was interesting, like learning that side of it. And then I went into local news reporting and anchoring for um, Mm -hmm. a radio station. And then I, I think actually was the main like driving force behind the the sports thing was this podcast that a couple of uh, buddies of mine had started that I had went to high school with. Yeah. it come on and then it turned into like this weekly thing and I enjoyed it so much. And then I started listening to sports radio constantly and then I became obsessed with it. Um, and then I got a, um, an update anchor job at Sirius XM in the sports department. Yeah. And that just opened everything up. And then I was like, wow, okay. I can really like zero in on the sports niche now. You know, a lot of people, I guess, downplay the sports media industry that, you know, they say like it's shrinking by the day. I'm wondering if you really subscribe to that belief because, you know, at least for me, I always see on my Twitter feed people announcing what they're doing for the upcoming whenever. So it seems to me that it's like, it's not impossible. It might be difficult, but it's not impossible. So I want to know like what your experience on that is. I think anything is going to have its challenges. Uh, I do think media in general is, is, extremely challenging and competitive and all those like scary things that you hear about it. And mm-hmm. it's true. I mean, it's true. I didn't, I yeah. didn't get a job until I was 29 years old, basically, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't, didn't have benefits until then. I had, you know, a lot of low paying jobs and, and pretty awful hours um, for a long time, but you know, I still liked what I was doing. Right. Um, it was, it was certainly hard and it was certainly a grind. Um, but I, I think it's, it's not impossible. I, and I, I think anything that anyone wants to kind of figure out and, and do, it's all about what you're willing to, um, I don't know if sacrifice is the right word, but just balance. Like, True. you know, uh, you have to prioritize what's most important to you. And I think uh, everybody has different things. Like, you know, for some people, um, maybe going beyond just like living paycheck to paycheck and uh, not having a secure situation. Maybe that's a more of a priority, but you know, everybody's different. Like that's the, if I would could give one piece of advice about this like career path or this industry is that there is no path. There is no blueprint. There, like that's, that's what you have to get comfortable with. It's like, I have to kind of figure out and finagle a way to, to get one step and then the next step and then the next step. And, um, sure. I just have, you just have to be like, okay with the uncertainty, I think for a while. Yeah. And, and that's not for everybody. Like, it's just not. And, and that's totally cool. Like, I, like I, I know a lot of people that I, worked with um you know when I was interning or when I started in radio and like certain people that just they didn't want to do it anymore like they it, their heart wasn't in it it, yeah. it was too, too much of a um too much of a grind or um just not setting them up financially where they wanted to be and um so all of those things you have to weigh out and you'll weigh out as your life sort of unfolds and you and you weigh things as they come and that's always how i I sort of approached it and yeah um, I I had no idea that I was going to end up finding a way to work on the TV side I thought that 
it was always a dream, but, um, you mm. know, I know that I was going to be doing, um, on camera stuff until it was kind of there in front of me. Yeah. So does that make sense? It's no, like, it definitely does. It definitely <laughs> does. But, you know. but, then again, but then again, if I had been say a little older at the time, or it's like timing is, is really everything when yeah. it, when it comes like weighing whatever opportunity it is and like weighing your priorities. Sure. Because, you know, a 20 year old's priorities are going to be different than like, you know, person who's like, you know, sure. 5, 27, 28. Right. Right. Six. And I was, I was lucky too, because I, you know, I found, um, like for instance, I found an apartment that was like really cheap. <laughs> like, whereas if I didn't Good find job. that, I could have afforded to, to, be doing all these part-time jobs in Manhattan and, and freelancing and running around a different a dream. But that's a dream though, for some people. Yeah. And it was, and it, and it was cool. It was cool for me. And I, I was, uh, um, I was, I was definitely happy about that. Um, right. but it, it's like, man, sometimes things fall into place and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have to just scrounge and like, it takes a lot of trust been but yeah and um it's just different for everybody yeah That's what how have you measured your own success over the course of your career oh that's um see that's that's tough i i don't speaking well, of that, do you feel like you're your own biggest critic yes i i am i would say i i am my own biggest critic and i think um I think to be honest, a lot of successful people or people that I would view as successful are that way. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just think you need that second gear to push yourself to like, sure. Be better to, or to put in the extra, just take that extra step to be a little crisper, a little sharper, a little more prepared. Yeah. Um, so Yes, but it, it's weird. Like even before I got the SNY gig, I felt like I was successful, even though I was flat broke. <laughs> and I mean, like flat broke. Yeah. Um, I felt like I don't know. I was just like, I'll I'll be fine. Like I'll okay. you know I once I get the rent paid, I'll be fine. Like <laughs> right. so I was still. I felt strangely happy. I felt strangely, yeah. even though I had no idea where I was going from there and um, had no idea how I was going to make it work in the long term. I was just trying to focus on day to day doing my best. And right. I was, um, I was comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I was successful in that, in that time. I was dollar quality right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I, I just, I felt successful, um, even when I was, you know, still working in, in radio and, you know, multiple jobs like that and mm -hmm. getting to, uh, smart, accomplished people at like fantasy sports network is another, um, was kind of like my first regular, like on camera gig. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just learned so much and I was just, I was just eating that up. I was eating sure. all that up. Sure. What would, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old right now. I have two years of college left. What would you yeah. tell your 20 year old self, you know, based on your experiences now, what would you tell, what advice would you give to 20 year old Maria? I guess I would tell 20 year old Maria you know what I would tell her? I would say not to rule out the sports thing. Right. Cause I, I really think once I figured out that that's what I was passionate about, I almost had to play catch up. I, I would spend hours on hours reading everything I could find and researching um, because my knowledge wasn't anywhere close to some of the people that were working next to me that had been in the business for 20 years. Yeah. And I, like, and I, I felt like I needed to be able to hang with them in conversation, be able mm -hmm. to understand context. And so I really like, I just like dove so deep into, I would spend so much time figuring everything out and watching every game I possibly could. Any, like, anytime I had to do, like throw a documentary on, like I would throw it on. I would just like 
I just felt like I, my, my knowledge and my overall context was, was behind. Mm -hmm. And so like, had I known that the sports thing was where I would end up all those years, like when I was in college where I was casually following, I would have been following extremely closely. And that would have saved me a lot of work on the back end to, to feel as though I belonged and, um, feel as though, um, my knowledge was sort of, um, I could measure it against anyone, but I I feel a lot better now. And I still feel, I'm just the type of person I like to research and make sure that I have facts straight. Um, yeah, but other, other than that, I, um, I think I, I followed, um, as far as my career goes, it's not, it's not like I've done things where like, I wish I didn't do it. I, yeah. I thought, thought was a good idea at the time. <laughs> um, so, the far, best. so far, so good, I, I guess I would say. How'd you feel when you, I guess, first got that SNY job? You know, because you said you were, you know, in, to use your words, dead broke. Yes. You no, know, paycheck to paycheck sometimes, you know, oh. so how'd you feel when you got that job? So um, I remember when they first reached out to me, I was excited, but at the time I wasn't overly optimistic because so I had had to you first. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, someone from their kind of like their programming and production um, mm. me. And like I said, I was excited, but I, I was trying to temper expectations because I had a few instances where I had interviews or auditions or things that I thought went really, really well and then didn't pan out. Right. Uh, I had a number of those actually. And so I was like, okay, we'll see what this is. And um, I didn't, I didn't believe it until I, it was like actually happening. Um, yeah. So until I got the call, like, Hey, we want you to come on these days on a show. And I hung up the phone and I just like was so alone in my apartment and I was just like yes yes like I was just so excited and like freaking out and um I was just smiling from ear to ear and like celebrating but then I got really nervous because then I was like oh my god I have to like really perform and I have to do a good job and execute because this is not over you know and so then from then from then on like it was like okay here's the, the chance here's the opportunity now execute it and do a good job and show your worth kind of thing. So then it turned into like study mode all the time. Sure. I've been booked for a show, which was pretty regular. Like they had me on pretty much every week, like one or two days a week or, you know, j- just pretty often, like often enough where it was like, okay, I got to a routine with it and talking about mm-hmm. the preparation, making sure I was ready to go. And, um, and then they asked me to do different, uh, roles throughout the the network, whether it be some, some field reporting stuff, uh, some sideline reporting, um, hosting and anchoring, as opposed to doing analysis and like everything mm-hmm. that asked me to do, I said yes. Yeah. I didn't want, um, and, and there's there's certainly a point in your career when you'll look at something and say that doesn't feel right, and and you should say no. Like I don't think you should say yes to everything blindly. Right. But I think you have to look at certain things that are being offered to you and understand that if sometimes if you say no, it's someone else's to grab. And sure. so um, with that in particular, with S and Y, I really wanted to be available. I really wanted to do everything, anything and everything I could to um, take anything that they would give me. And then um, I, was, I was working there about nine months and then got a full-time offer. Wow. Who's the first person you called or, you know, told that information to when you got the offer? Uh, I think it was my dad. I think I called my dad right away and told him um, that I got that offer um, because he was uh, just a huge influencer for me. And he was always so supportive of my career. Um, He would listen to everything I did. I mean, when I was on like, the local news radio station, he would listen to my newscasts and he would, he, anything he would watch when I was on my community college, like broadcast or whatever, he'd throw that on. And and every single step he was watching and listening and would talk to me about it. And 
he is somebody that like follows sports media a lot. So he knows a lot of the he could relate to what I was doing. And so I just felt like he understood everything that I was trying to do and he never discouraged me. And so he was like the first call I would say. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like that afternoon, I don't even know if my mom was with him or what, but like I I told my mom, I told my sister, I told my boyfriend Mm -hmm. all in that evening kind of that I had, that they had actually, you know, extended that offer. So yeah. it was a, it was a very nice day. <laughs> it was a good day. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I, you know, my next question was going to be, you know, who's your hero? Who's your biggest inspiration? And, you know, you just talked so highly of your dad. So I'm wondering if that's your answer to that question. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a number of different ones. Um, I think in my personal life, certainly my parents are, are two people I look up to a ton and I'm one of five siblings and I, admire and respect and look up to all my siblings for reasons and um oldest youngest middle I'm the second youngest but um they all have kids and so I I them sort of in a different light because they are are walking this earth with a different purpose than I am yeah children and they're raising those kids and I I just respect that a lot I respect their work ethic of course even though like what I do in my daily life is just so radically different from them. I, I respect them a ton. And then there's certain people in the industry that I, I idolize, of course. Um, I, I've learned to idolize the people in the industry that are genuinely good people, despite their massive success. So a couple of mine are, Michael Kay, Mike Breen, mm-hmm. um, Burkhart, and Chris Carlin. And all of them, as massively huge as they are, stardom-wise, have all been kind to me, have all extended advice to me, have all um, taken the time to ask about me personally. And just that, to me, I think, I think that's incredible. And that's who I want to be because I want to be mindful of um I want to be mindful of being kind to others and of course extending whatever hand that I can um and also being a being great as a performer which all are so I would say those guys and then um there are certain people that I used to watch um like I remember like when Kim Jones was uh, the reporter for the Yankees and she was the first reporter that I looked at that I was like, wow, she's really sharp and like really knows her stuff. And I was really impressed with her delivery. Yeah. Um, I felt that way too about um, like Holly Rowe, um, yeah. Ali LaForce, phenomenal on sideline. Uh, and then I started to also really like, I idolize a lot of, um, basketball analysts, um, females in particular. Tara Lawson is one of the most um, knowledgeable basketball minds that I've heard and, you know, paid off. She was obviously with the Celtics this past year and Mm. just got the head women's basketball coach at Duke. Um, Doris Burke. And she's another one, like, who, you know, I was to get on a phone call with and was happy to take time to give me, you know, her two cents on things and um, so there's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot out there. Uh, Laura, um, Linda Cohn is another one another from ESPN, and she used to host shows on Sirius XM and she would shout me out like when I would come in and do the updates, which was, which was great. Um, really? Tina Serpico is another like great professional, um, always helpful, always kind, nice, um, and also tremendously good at her job, um, serves every you know bit of success she's been having and. So there's just so many. I, I hope I, I haven't left out any major ones, but <laughs> there's a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel compelled to, you know, just ask this question too. You named so many, you know, prominent women in sports media. So what can, I guess, society do to make the sports media industry, you know, even though it is a male dominated industry, what can people do to make it more inclusive, you know, for women in sports? because it's so important to 
just uplift people's voices and make sure everybody has, you know, an equal opportunity? I think that's a, a really important question. Um, as far as women in sports, both on the athlete side and on the media side. Yeah. It, I mean, it down, goes both ways. Yeah. It comes down to decision makers. Um, it comes down to everyone working behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the people at the top need to trickle down um, a diverse perspective about uh, what, a, what a woman might think or feel about a certain thing, um, what a woman might bring to the table that's different um, than what a man could bring to the table. And I don't mean one's better than the other. I just mean sure. different. I think diversity overall just makes everything stronger um Absolutely. different perspectives at the table um you can see things from more angles and then when that happens you can be more thorough and you can just be better at your job as a team putting out the best product um and that doesn't just go for gender that goes for you know everything yeah um, different races different creeds and Absolutely. i um I just think that there's been longstanding um, habits that have happened or have been developed sometimes inadvertently, um, sometimes yeah. uh, subconsciously that require a different viewpoint in order to identify. And so um, I think that sometimes requires a bit of open-mindedness um, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, education as well. And there's a lot more eye-opening um, situations that young girls and young women are put in now that make it uh, a, a dream that they can realize that maybe mm -hmm. they before or didn't see before or thought it was too far-fetched. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I think as far as sports are concerned, you know, there's, there's certainly studies out there that show that young girls who get involved in sports are successful for a number of reasons and not just in sports media, but in business and, and whatnot. Yeah. There's, there's links to um, success uh, in sports and um, confidence and uh, all sorts of things. So um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing for me to quantify, it's but a broad topic. Yeah. I just think that those that have the power to make the decisions need to be aware of the power that they hold and, um, just think of things a little differently than they have before. And, um, I think having a couple more, you know, female producers and a couple more female anything um, will, will help that diversity be more well-rounded. And um, I, I do think that's happening. I really do think that yeah. um, there's a ton of uh, respect in the workplace and there's certainly challenges and there sure. have been a lot of challenges and um, so I don't want to downplay that, but I also feel good about uh, where where things are going. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, <laughs> there's I think there's a lot out there. Yeah, I was gonna ask like you know because of you know I guess this generation you know being so cognizant of you know equal opportunities for everybody no matter what you know race, gender, creed, religion you are. Do you think I guess you know the sports media industry um, in general is trending in the right direction. Yes, I do. Um, there's still work to be done. Of course. Don't get me of course. But I think when, um, uh, you know, a woman like myself shows up at a job and is the only, only woman in the room full of, of men 
Um, I think it helps when I just hope that my hard work sh shines through. I hope that my performance um, backs up things way better than I could ever express yeah. here via words. You know, I think um, just seeing that example uh, and seeing examples of other women do it and just seeing more and more of that gives people the um, just just the the knowledge that hey like she is competent she is um, just as good or uh, just as uh, diligent as anybody else and it's just like all these little things all these little things add up to create um, just an environment that's more uh, female friendly absolutely so I think that's all you know, I have right now, but is there anything else like, you know, you want to add like, you know, on, you know, your experience and your, you know, your career, anything you want to share about yourself? Um, oh, well. one more question I did have. And I like to ask this with, you know, anybody I'm interviewing, because I feel like it's such a, you know, unique question that not everybody's asked a lot. What's something you like or admire about yourself? Oh, something about something more about myself. Um, that is, that's tough. Um, I don't, I, I already feel as though I'm talking so much about myself, but, um, I think, uh, what I admire about myself is that I care deeply about my craft. I care sure. deeply about the product that's being displayed, mm -hmm. uh, care deeply about doing what I believe is the right thing. And sometimes it's not easy to do. And sometimes I just want to do something that's more minimum, but I can't. Yeah. And it zooms me and sometimes it keeps me up at night, but I know that I have to do it and mm -hmm. feel responsible. And I feel a duty to cover what I can cover in a way that has some small influence on whatever uh whatever audience i can muster mm -hmm. and so for me it's about the story it's about the athlete in a lot of cases um and sharing being a voice for them um, yeah. a voice for especially groups that i think are underrepresented or underappreciated mm -hmm. um and I, I just, that's just, I, I can't explain. I just feel that. And I, um, so yeah, I would just say I care. That's, that's the thing that I like about myself. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off before, but like, was there anything else like, you know, you wanted to add? No, I think, I think that's a good, <laughs> I think that's a good end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, thank you so much. It means the absolute world to me for me to be able to share your story and for you to come on. So I really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dylan. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed this. You can check out the YouTube video on my YouTube page and the feature story online at thesportprofile.wordpress.com. Thanks again for all your support. Stay safe.